0: hello again folks welcome to episode 8 of the squiggly film Club I'm Ben Mitchell joined by Laura Beth Cowley hello and Steve Henderson hello and uh, what a what a film we have for you tonight which one is it again corpse bright <laughs>
1: one Ben's excited by,
0: uh, a handful of votes up against the book mm. of life let's play the corpse bright and a three two, two one, one. Warner Brothers logo, again.
1: Bookie Brothers pictures.
0: Oh, it's all desaturated. Sets a tone of burton wonder and what's it?
2: What is it that, the, like, the common tropes of a Tim Burton film? Like, wait until you find a spiral. Someone with Starting insanely skinny right legs. There, there yeah. we go.
0: Spiral feather pen. It's like with, um, Fucking feather pen. <laughs>
2: Fuck me. <laughs> feather pen. <laughs> it's been a long week. <laughs> <laughs> it really has. It's like oh, Danny Elfman, I remember someone who was like a big fan of his music growing up. Used to say like there will always be a bell in it. Wait, until you hear a bell and then you know it's a Danny Elfman score.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, th- this is a film that uh, you know, I have a few conflicted emotions about. Not really, I guess, emotions. Sort of half-formed thoughts, I guess. Um,
2: I have a factoid. Oh,
0: factoid! Let now. Is going to be depressing? As no, established I mean, in the last episode. Maybe
2: a tiny bit weird. Okay. Um, I am. I'm, I'm like going to be looking through the making of the book whilst we're watching this. But the uh, the caption under that image of him in his bedroom is that. Did you know he's meant to be nineteen?
1: Yeah. I did not. You did, yeah. Uh, I know that uh, Victoria's that age as well, in it, and it just goes to show these olden days. That guy's sweeping up now, he's fifteen. <laughs> you know, this is the olden days. It's people aged rapidly.
2: How old is um, Emily?
1: Uh, well, is she
2: also nineteen? I stop mean, she... aging. Yeah, but was she nineteen when she died? Uh, who knows? That's a good question. Well, this That's is a lovely also bit of animation big... of the fish.
1: Yeah, yeah, really nice.
2: I like anything that's automated, which is completely the opposite of what you want. You want from a performance normally, but anything that's like
0: that's a nice bit of looping.
2: Yeah, I love it though.
1: You know, automated um, drudgery.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: It also kind of that... sets the scene, doesn't it? Because the guys who walk past and nodded at each other—it's like a sort of clockwork, like a, a what are they called? the clocks, the Swiss mm. clocks. Um. And then, obviously, the, the main that bad kid. guy stands out there.
2: Oh, that kid is just a skull of eyeballs in it.
1: <laughs> Another Burton trope.
2: She has a really interesting armature. She's just like a big ball with a pedal on it. This woman just, here? Yeah, she has no legs, so she's just like up and down. Mm. Boop, boop, boop.
1: <laughs> Spring loaded.
2: Yeah. I love the little mouths. They're so teeny-tiny.
1: Did anyone notice the um, the the credit for Leica right at the beginning there? No. Yeah, this is a uh, a Leica production. Well.
2: Oh yeah, I always forget that because uh, I feel like it's a lie, even though it's not. I'm like, I feel like that's not true. Well, it, it's It feels like yeah. urban legend. Yes,
1: yeah. Well, it's not. A, you know, it, it, it's contract work that they did really, rather than it being an actual Leica production. All the puppets are. Uh, 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 McKinnon and Saunders and the animation's uh, Three Mills, I think, down in uh, in London. But-
2: I think this was before Three Mills, because Three Mills was named after Frank and Weenie.
1: Ah, so what was it called so, before?
2: I think this one was made in Poland, I thought. Right. I'll go back What's to my...
0: Polish for Three Mills?
2: Know. I, only, Ask I Jen. Know,
1: but yeah I know Polish for uh, glasses but that doesn't help Do you
2: know the Polish
1: for free uh, nope I know the Polish for door does that help nope
0: <laughs> okay we'll get back to you all on that Google
2: <laughs> <up>. talk <laughs> amongst yourself
0: so possibly not made at three mils um, in terms of how the laws of time work. But, um, I think, anyway. What's interesting is I, I do kind of, I think because of era and sort of general sort of production design and stuff like that, there's a little bit of a cosmetic similarity to Box Trolls, mm. the uh, the later Laika film. Who, oh, no, um, you're
2: right. It was made at Three Mills. Well, well, well. Ah. Mm. Maybe
0: Three Mills was ma- named... After the original Frankenweenie, which
2: or Frankenstein, maybe or that, or I've just made up a whole bunch of bullshit. Not really sure D- did anymore. Did you dream that? Maybe.
0: <laughs> what What does the three mills? What's the role of three mills in Frankenweenie? as you recall?
2: I don't know. Never okay. mind. I know well, me. <laughs> I, it's been a long week. That was my uh, my version of the feather pen. <laughs>
1: Well, I get one a minute, so you know you guys have uh, have been saving yours up for podcast eight.
0: We're trailing behind, yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, the puppets are absolutely gorgeous. They're uh, obviously McKinnon and Saunders, the uh, one of my favourite studios. I don't, I don't mind saying. I'll say one of my favourite studios, so all the other studios don't feel left out. But yeah, McKinnon and Saunders is absolutely wonderful, uh, and the work they do is is absolutely gorgeous as we're clearly soaked in at the moment. It's it's just wonderful work.
0: Yeah, I think this is one of those films where, if nothing else, you can really drink in the quality of the craft that went into it. Mm. There was a film we saw in Annecy a few years ago we had wanted to see for a while. It's impossible to really find an English dubbed or subtitled version of it. Uh, It's called Max and Co. Yeah. And it's not, from what I gathered, it wasn't like the most groundbreaking film in the world ever, but it had McKinnon and Saunders involvement in it, um, in terms of the puppet fabrication, if I remember rightly. And, or certainly, you know, some shared personnel. Um, And we ended up watching that in the courtyard up the hill in Annecy, in French, not understanding a word of what was going on. But it was a very entertaining hour and a bit of just, you know... Yeah, you can just watch what they do. Um, whether or not, you know, you're engaged with the story. Um, it's just very impressive and very sort of automatically watchable.
1: Yeah. I think as well with the way that these puppets are being constructed as well. Obviously, Laika as we as we know it came a few years after this. I think, was it Coraline 2009 or 2008 or something? This is 2005. Two thousand and nine. Two thousand and nine. So, 2009. 2009. so uh, this film uh, and the work that Laika are doing is it's Leica Entertainment. It's not the Laika that we know uh, as as the, the the kind of guys making their own features. Um, but I mean, look look at this character here. The smile coming out of um, uh, is it Mr. Everglot? Um, it's Albert Finney's character. Finney um, Phineas, Phineas is it? Finney Everglot. Um, but just the. The ability for a, a silicon puppet to be able to have that range of expression, uh, and for it to look seamless. I mean, at the time, people told me that they thought it was CGI, hmm. and it's it's clearly there's clearly something there, there's some sort of trickery going on. Uh, but when you f- when you actually look at a kind of an image which you've probably got uh, in your book, Laura. Uh, of what these characters look like without the rubber skin. They look like, you know, intricate S- Swiss watches or something. They, they're absolutely amazing what's been created. All the pedals and gears and things that have been crafted in order to get these kind of nuanced expressions out of the characters. It's just, it's a triumph, isn't it, of, of stop motion.
2: Yeah, they have clockwork heads, um, as do uh, the puppets in Fantastic Mr. Fox. But the difficulty with these ones is because, like you said, they have a a rubbery, y mask. Is that they can't really open their mouths too wide because they you get a little bit of stretch with the silicone. But if you pull it too much, they rip at the mouth. So there apparently there was quite a lot of like having to continuously touch up the corners of their mouths. Mm. Because they like if they tried to like do anything too expressive, like a gasp or something, they uh, they'd rip. I think the mother character who I mentioned earlier with the tiny little mouth, I think her mouths will like stick on, maybe like little solid stick yeah. on replacements. Um, but this is what was this was like really crazy impressive before three D printing, um, and although you can't get like i said the mo- the more expressive side of things like very big shifts and facial changes i would still argue that this is incredibly impressive yeah um if you can afford a geared head
0: <laughs> It's sort of its own unique thing mm. and i think that i mean would that be a kind of major difference between this and say the nightmare before christmas yeah first nightmare before christmas it's not replacements, is of it? the evening <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so Nightmare Before Christmas was it wasn't three D printing, obviously, but it did use the same it's kind of
2: done replacements. Yeah,
0: so you know, pop out the faceplate,
2: but um, not for all of them. Some of them did would have had like a simplified version of this as well, depend right. on the character. And like, I think probably the werewolf character, who's just like a big nose with a mouth, would have been like a silicone the clown over maybe a- as
1: well. Yeah.
2: Yeah, but I think the clown probably was replacement because it was, like, he, he actually had a tearaway face. <laughs> so
0: You may as well, won't well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you? you yeah, know, let's make you the know. one whose face is actually meant to come off. <laughs> 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 yeah, Silicon, and then work
2: around that. <laughs> Go. Um, but, you know, knowing stop motion and knowing, <laughs> like, this particular director probably did.
0: Um, so, in terms of, like, then this approach... Had this been done that much in the interim, this kind of intricate—well,
1: not not to this level. I mean, one of the stories that I I really like, and I'm not I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or if I've been told this—the um, uh, that um, Tim Burton had a, a a very kind of specific idea what he wanted, and McKinnon and Saunders created the intricate uh, geared-headed puppets, basically as a kind of look how intricate this is. This is too intricate. You want to be doing something simpler for your film. And Tim Burton saw them and went, yeah, we'll have, we'll have 300 of those, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's your first vital mistake. Never show someone that you can do a thing that you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, always just be like, yeah, it's not possible. Yeah. It's like the black triangle idea, like if you put something shit in a design to try and trick the client into not picking that thing or having a thing to pick out, that will inevitably be the one thing that stays. (laughs) You're playing with fire. Now,
0: at this stage in the film, is this actually black and white or is it just our TV? No,
2: everything was just sort of painted to be really monotoned. Monochrome. Yeah, monochrome. Um, so but is
0: it like, is it, because it, t- to me on this screen it looks like it's actually like completely shades of grey, but is it actually just sort of very desaturated? Do you that, I think it's
2: shot just,
1: live? That's how, that's as it is, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it is just really like all the sets and stuff are just really, de- there's probably a little bit of tonal changing in post, but yeah. they're not, yeah, it's not like just our TV, it is like that.
0: Sure. I think, I think I'm, I'm, the phrasing of my question is is a bit confusing um have i'm i get that they actually painted the characters like this but have they actually painted them in shades of gray or is it just very very muted colors
2: very very muted colors okay so i think her dress is meant to be kind of like a very a gray red right.
0: it may be more obvious on other televisions i just know that when we use the um this particular we can
2: see here look
0: Oh, yeah, there's even the production still, it's a lot more. The colour yes, range is a lot more.
2: as well, by the way.
0: so mm.
2: Sockety bits.
0: Nightmarish.
2: Mmm.
1: There's a real all star cast in this room, isn't there, for a stop motion film? And uh, obviously, you, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, Joanna Lumley, and. Um,
2: well, I think they're all Tim Burton or Helena Bonham yeah. Carter's mates. Yes. So I don't. I imagine they just asked them all to do it over dinner.
1: <laughs> well, the uh, this production was going on at the same time as uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and Tim Burton okay. just basically said, "Do you want to?" Well, when people were filming during the day, uh, Johnny Depp was obviously spending all day doing his impression of uh, Michael Jackson. owning in Chocolate Factory, and then. Uh, on an evening, he'd go and record his lines as uh, Victor Van Dort, and obviously um, Christopher Lee is in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Uh, you know, there's a, few, there's a bit, of, uh, a fair bit of crossover here um, between the two uh, two films.
2: And yeah. all of Tim Burton's films,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, they're sort of directorial um... favorites, yeah, because I think Christopher Lee had been. A couple before that, I think he was in Sleepy Hollow very briefly. Mm. Mm. Um,
2: was he in Edward? No, I don't think
0: so. No, it was Martin Lando. Was I think the main the guy in Edward? What's going on? Is that a skeleton?
2: Yeah, yeah. This is the later guy, but he's just insane. You're
1: looking at the at your book because Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So <laughs> everyone go on eBay. We're or your local point about, retailer. Well,
2: I'll explain when the puppet comes on screen. He's not going to be on for a tell while. Tell if
0: you have the book with you, as if you own the book, uh, Laura can tell us what page we're 50 on. Fifty
2: to
0: fifty-one. <laughs> so there you go. It's a fully immersive experience.
2: <laughs> I think commentary
0: book read-along. We I, got you covered this quarantine period.
2: I think these puppets have like done a huge, like for a while, or probably still do we have a huge issue, a huge impact problematically on students thinking that this is a viable puppet to make yeah
1: yes yeah
2: because you know what because as a as a lecturer i'm sure you come across like anyone that wants to do storage and the first thing they do is make these tiny 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 wrists yeah and like giant headed characters and you're like fucking good luck
1: yeah and he goes do you you... know what a rig is what
2: yes yeah i want to pin it all in place or get it to hold itself up with magnets good luck with your Tiny thimble sized like feet and little little joints that you cannot afford. You need an engineering degree to figure out how to make. Mm.
1: Mm. Or, as McKinnon and Saunders have at this point, probably about twenty years worth of experience, you know. Uh which is it's not not to say it's not achievable instantly. <laughs>
2: well, I think
0: experience is, is definitely the main factor... Alongside re- sheer resources, just
2: silver soldering something that small would be fucking nightmarish. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Because silver soldering, if you if you have like a joint that has three parts to it, you silver one side of it, you then have to reheat the whole thing to then join another part to it, and then whilst you're doing that, the other side melts off. Mm. So doing that on something probably the size of a pinhead, yeah, pissing annoying. <laughs> More than anything, I mean, it's a great they're all like incredible feats but the just the fact that he wanted to make and i know like obviously um harryhausen did it years and years ago but like the idea of making a stop motion film based around skeletons yeah um and not wanting to have any of the joints showing on something so thin cuz this is this is like anything on these puppets or any of the flesh we're talking like armature Actual final, what we're seeing on the on the outside, no, no in between, nothing in holding it in place, nothing sort of hiding the joints. Yeah, the fact that they were able to do that is insane because they're no bigger than any normal puppet. Like, look at this with the arm, the forearm that has both the both of the bones in the forearm. Mm. Where the hell is the armature? <laughs> <laughs> and like, this, they've just the painted this, the armature at th- that this point. This isn't even the most impressive
1: of the the armatures that we're going to see there's a character who comes up later on the the real i think is it the elder uh nick or something like that the really old guy and he's the skeleton yeah he's basically yeah that's
2: the puppet we were talking about are oh, you in, oh, the in
1: the book okay i've not got the book mm. so when you say page 50 to 52 I
2: can't. <laughs> <laughs> no but yes yeah that puppet yeah is mental because also like his little head flap and oh it's just uh, also the like is all the things that you just don't think about in a stop motion film like animating the veil animating the hair which is all like dreadlocked and really really thin mm. having to feed and also this it's also hard to like to remember that this came before Coraline yes like it came quite a few years before Coraline so a lot of what like ended up using in Coraline and really like champions itself on was already been done in films like this like being able to thread wire through the hair in that way and make things look fluid yeah. and real.
1: We So we're up to the point in the story where the bride has, has made her appearance. Uh, she's Victor, Victor's ran off into the woods, the bride's uh, appeared out of nowhere, uh, and she's just snogged him on a bridge and we're about to enter the, uh, what do they call it? Do they call it the, the afterlife, the world of the undead? the What do they call it?
2: Let me have a look. Uh, land of the living, land of the dead. Land
1: of the dead. That was a nice visual there when, when he came round, that old Victorian um, optical illusion. Which one? Uh, the skull that, that Oh you yeah, see yeah. When, when you go through. I think earlier on there was the kind of spinning head kind of thing as well. There's some beautiful characters in here now and you're starting to get a little bit more colour.
2: Well, that's the opposite. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the land of the living is meant to be really fun and, and jazzy. Yeah,
0: oh, land of the dead, you
2: mean? Land of the dead, sorry.
0: It's that, it's that kind of standard thing of, yeah, once you're in the supernatural realm, everything can get a bit more colourful and cartoony. Mm. That's a kind of Beetlejuice waiting room Yeah, it has a vibe. very
2: Beetlejuice <laughs> feel. <laughs> oh, right
0: And not really, and again, this will be the second one of the evening, not really that similar to Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, I'm not going to keep bringing up Nightmare Before Christmas.
1: Nah, keep going. But it is
0: sort of interesting to think at the time this was really regarded as a kind of spiritual successor to it. Mm. Because, like you say, Coraline hadn't happened yet. Um, The only thing I think... In the interim, that was sort of vaguely a relatable thing would have been James and the Giant Peach,
2: which Tim Burton produced, um, and
1: Jack Skellington's in,
2: and Jack Skellington's in it. Yeah,
0: and now we have Danny Elfman. I believe this is his yeah. musical number, playing yeah. another skeleton. And <laughs> just the way they've approached doing a skeleton. Sorry, it's, it. we're in the ghetto. I apologise. <laughs> Well, we don't edit these ones like, so people have to I feel endure like the the, ambu- the uh,
2: ambulance drivers just going round the, the roundabout next to our house like woo <laughs> me now
0: yeah this is my time okay
2: it's gone
0: now <laughs> um yeah like sort of um like cosmetically it's actually quite different and i had thought that it was more of a sort of i remember reading at the time and being kind of surprised that the the main sort of art direction wasn't exclusively down to tim burton this is how do eyed and naive i was back then um that there would actually be sort of um other people involved in that side of things because yeah the ingredients of it feel very consistent with other tim burton projects but the
2: design is very very different like a it's just a lot more complex and detailed like In Nightmare for Christmas, they had a lot of texture to them, but they were all kind of based on very uh, simple shapes. And it was all about creating a really uh, impactful silhouette of all of the characters so you could sort of recognize them from afar because quite a lot of the shots in Nightmare River Christmas* are, f- are far away and not close-ups. Because this was the difference. The other major fact of this film is the fact that they—it uh, was the first time they ever used digital cameras to yeah. produce stop-motion films, which also meant that they could get really close to the puppets, for, like really the first time. Like he could do it before, but it was a real nightmare to try and get like round the giant-ass camera to move the hands and stuff. So visually, it's very. It's very different because the designs are very different, but just the the ability and the things they could do is also very different. Mm.
1: Yeah, and that decision was made literally weeks before the uh, the film started. Three well, weeks yeah, before. Three
2: weeks. <laughs> okay. <No, we're laughs> <going. laughs>
1: Which uh, the guys you know at the camera rental store must have been. Uh, we have got this great, great Tim Burton contract <laughs> with all these big, heavy cameras. <laughs> we're going to clear <laughs> some space in the in the in the uh, in the warehouse and then uh... it's like
2: whenever you um talk to Ardman about cameras and they just have like rooms of those cameras mm. like i i think i've walked down the corridor of them all in before and it's just like wall to wall these giant cameras that are just <laughs> will never be used again not even sure they would like they would probably function but i don't know where you'd get the films processed
1: Max Spielman. <laughs> So the uh, you're talking about the design there. Uh, it's Carlos Grangel, isn't it? The uh, or Grangel. The uh, I think he's based in Barcelona, uh, and the designs are are absolutely exquisite. I remember when this film did come out, there was an exhibition at the uh, the Bradford Animation Festival. Oh, there's, a few, there's some pictures on the wall of, uh, of 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 Carlos's work, and he uses the back of cereal packets or the inside of cereal packets, I should say, because they've got a kind of a plastic, papery sort of consistency that he says can't be replicated uh and so he does all of his work on that and that's how you get his that's that's how, if you ever look at any of his work it's always on this kind of
2: gray board gray brownie
1: sort of uh waltz well, it's, it's a great match for the kind of tonal style of this film as well and when we oh, did it's funny that
0: that's in the book like you can tell they're ripped off the back of them um, yes cereal yeah. boxes mm.
2: They're really lovely. Yeah. Page
0: 42 or 41. <laughs> no. For your consumption.
1: So when we did uh, the, the 2017 edition of Manchester Animation Festival, we put on an exhibition uh, called McKinnon and Saunders Origins. And we had a lot of access to all this kind of fantastic artwork. And we could have just filled... We only had two walls to fill, and we could have filled every wall in the building with this beautiful work. Um. Yeah, some of the characters that are coming up, some of the characters we've not seen yet, Uh, there's one guy who's chopped in half to look out for. Just the design is is absolutely amazing, but to consider making that as an armature that can then be animated is just another, you know, technically brilliant feat. I just keep going back to how wonderful this film is.
2: It's also weird when you think, like, that visual gag, like, the the fact that he's split in half was done for, like, one gag. Mm. Like, he's not the main character.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
2: I love the butler's profile, like a penguin. Yeah. <laughs> like, just perfectly scooped out, ergonomic butler shape. Like, if you've got a butler, that's what shape the you want him to be. Maximum butlering efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> He can pick a lock with his nose. <laughs> Perfect.
0: So what did you guys feel about the um, the story of this film?
2: It's based on an old Polish or Russian folk story.
1: It's based on an, an old um, it's a Jewish uh, folktale. I think uh, origins are in uh, Israel. All oh, right. right. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, a piece of sixteenth-century uh, Jewish folklore, and in the original story, uh, it's all about the authority of a rabbi. So in the end, the bride insists that she's married to uh, the the groom, and uh, sh- the 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 rabbi says, "No, you're not." And so she screams and explodes into a big pile of bones and dust. Uh, whether or not Tim Burton does the same thing, I'm sure we're going to see. For those that have not seen the film. Uh, but yeah, a piece of uh, Jewish folklore. But the um, I think it has been in development since the film, at least, since 1993. Because at the end of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas... Here's the guy. Here's the guy who splits in half. Whee! Fantastic. Look at that. His guts bouncing. Look his organs. Uh, so it was uh, 1993 at the end of um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Joe Ranth, who... Um, uh, worked as a storyboard artist on that film, but was also one of the key uh, founders, I suppose, of of Pixar or the Pixar style. Basically anything good that you see in the early Pixar films, it's Joe Ranth who did it. Uh, He gave uh, Tim Burton the idea for this film back in uh, 1993, so it's been worming its way around his head since then.
0: Mm. See, we haven't actually. I don't think this film has come up a great deal in um, past podcasts, and um, you in coverage, it sort of come up as a sort of like sub thing of like when we're talking about like related films or talents who worked on other films subsequently. Mm -hmm. Um, But we did have one of the writers on the podcast um about a year and a half ago. It was for the anniversary of The Nightmare Before Christmas because she also wrote that film mm. um and then was brought on after falling out with Tim, but she'd written um Edward Scissorhands as well, her name's Carolyn Thompson. And it's a really nice interview. Uh she was a really interesting person to talk to. She also wrote the um the Addams Family, um, the nineties version, not the new one. Um And she had this kind of pattern, I think, in her uh, career where I just got the impression, like, when certain strong personalities kind of clash, inevitably rank gets pulled and, you know, someone kind of loses out. And I think she had this, these artistic differences with Tim Burton that would keep rearing their heads. And they started with Edward Scissorhands. And I think it sort of culminated with this, um... And they kind of had repaired their rift. and I mean, she tells this story much better in the actual podcast. I forget which uh, episode it is, but it's easy enough to search. Um, But that she did a draft for this. She is credited as one of the screenwriters of the film. um, But according to her, what she wrote doesn't actually come across in the film at all. Um, It was essentially rewritten um, kind of behind her back, I think and it was when, I think it was this kind of period between um, Big Fish and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the earlier stages of the film where Tim Burton wasn't around so much. And so he just kind of, I think he handed it over to his co-director, who's, does anyone know? Uh,
1: it was uh, uh, Mike Johnson. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. So that was kind of, I think, the last... Um, uh, the last of the involvement she had with, uh, Tim Burton project, but I remember I, I got the impression that perhaps maybe what she had in mind for it might have been more in line with the source material. Hmm. Um, and then certainly she, the implication was that the ending in particular, um, was a very different sort of artistic choice. Um, it's a funny old world mm. showbiz. <laughs> no biz like it, they say.
2: Oh, well, here's the really complex puppet coming.
1: Yeah, this is the the others are crap. This <laughs> <laughs> this guy. This is where
2: this they've, is, uh, they've got to step up crème, their game. Creme de la creme of puppets. <laughs> where are you? Uh... How
0: do his elbows work? Are there any uh, answers to that?
2: Sorry, what was the question? I was. Thinking How do his know. elbows work? Uh, Let's wait and see.
1: He must weigh an ounce.
2: Uh, I'll get a good look. <laughs> Maybe I'll
1: have a look in the book. Okay, consult the book. I think I think it is Harryhausen style just painted armature isn't it?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean I
0: want do you think maybe he's propped up a bit and that got painted out after?
2: Oh yeah, no he he's definitely got a rig. Oof. There's absolutely no way he'd be able to stand up by himself. Cuz also he's leaning so far forward. There's no way of counterweighting that. Mm. Without a counterweight. <laughs> I'd imagine having not been there. <laughs>
0: A counterweight would be the thing. The dog is a bit like the dog. in Nightbird, Yeah, obviously.
2: he's a bit zo- ze- uh, zero. zero-ish.
1: There are a lot of uh, absurd kind of fan theories on this, that zero and that dog are the same dog and that, you know, Victor becomes Jack Skeleton and that they're all related and there's a wider... Tim, Oh, for God's sake. Yeah, Victor
2: can... does not have anywhere near the panache of Jack Skeleton. <laughs> there is absolutely no way that sad sack became that guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jack Skeleton bumped. was my first, like, teenage crush.
0: Yeah, the Jack Skeleton so. had, like, proper... He had charm. Big dick energy. Yeah. This is the only. <laughs> this thing, guy does not.
2: This is the only thing I don't like like about this film is I always found Victor really annoying. Like, oh, just fucking deal with your life, mate. <laughs> I know you're 19 and getting forced into marriage, but you know, in two more years you'll have cholera and die. So just chill out.
1: Make the most
0: Set of it. yourself, son.
2: Make the most of the idled wedding. Where the hell is this bloody puppet?
1: So I've, I've I've got the I've got the film on low here. What what's 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 this is it about trying to get him back to the the land of a living, is that what this is?
2: Yeah, I think he says he wants her to meet his parents. parents. Yeah.
1: And then they'll go, ugh, and then they won't get married.
0: So you guys are talking about the um the source material of the story before, but as far as like cinema goers um, what did you make of this film when you saw it? Like, did it uh, did it entrance, Did it captivate?
1: Not as much as it should should have. I don't think. Uh, I think. Uh, it, I mean, it came out in a in the same year as Curse of the Were-Rabbit and for me, that's that's one of my all time favorite films. <laughs> it's on the list. If I had a top ten, it's definitely in there. Yeah, uh, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. And um, this film just seemed, seemed. I felt more sorry for the stop motion animators that could have. If this film was released a year later, could have got an extra bit of work out of it. Uh, you know, it, it always. It often falls in the UK that you know whenever there's a stop motion production on, there's three stop motion productions on or two stop motion productions on, um, and then they can't find the animators. And then they train loads of animators, and then then there's no work. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I remember going, I went to the cinemas to watch it. I was just, I was a student, um, an animation student, so I was duty bound to go and watch it. And I really I really loved it. I thought I, I remember just watching it and trying to figure out how they did uh, the characters' kind of expressions and stuff. I had no idea about the uh, armatures uh, and how complex the armatures were. Uh, Story wise, which I think you're alluding to, Ben. It, it's a relatively simple premise. It doesn't blow me away like Nightmare Before Christmas blows me away, um, but on second viewing, third viewing, there's just so much to it which I really appreciate and just think it's a it's a really good film.
2: How about you? I went to see this film for my fifteenth birthday. Oh, you're like so young. I yes. And I still am. And uh, <laughs> uh, forever. I remember going with like a group of friends can't remember the friends. But going and the cinema being completely empty except for us and us sitting on the floor of where this screen is and like just having a picnic whilst watching the film, like <laughs> as if they were giants. <laughs> and at the time, here's a, a little bit of Laura trivia that is embarrassing. Back when does anyone remember Bebo? It was before Facebook and during yeah. what when Social MySpace media. was the thing.
1: I I was probably a little bit too old for Bebo, but I was aware yeah. of its existence.
2: I used to run the Bebo Tim Burton fan club.
0: oh, Fantastic. I really did. I bet that's still there people still. No, on Bebo. I've looked.
2: I've looked. I, Bebo does not Where'd exi- you go? Bebo doesn't exist in any guys because every so often I have a little nostalgia flex where I'm like I wonder if I can ever find my Bebo page. Oh, Cause it was there. really personalized. You could like really personalize it that you could change a background. You had like music that came on as soon as you entered your site. It was fucking nightmarish. <laughs> but there's some, there's some proper cheesy emo poetry on there from like my youth. But I um I ended up like del- I think either deleting or leaving the fa- the fan group because people kept being like I can't wait for this Tim Burton film Coraline it's going to be ace like, not Tim Burton <laughs> you left
0: in disgust
2: oh I I deleted every comment as they came in saying it and and like banned them uh-huh. I was like really aggressively unpleasant. As well as you should have been. Yeah. You can't tolerate that kind of monkey shines. Well, in my generation we never didn't have Google, so I was like, just fucking Google it.
1: <laughs> Assholes Does it yeah, ir- does it irk you it. does it irk you when people say that Tim Burton directed Nightmare Before Christmas?
2: Not really, because he was more involved with that and it's more integral. But I the think fact, that's but more forgettable because it was yeah. for
0: such a long time, and prob- possibly still is, it's still, marketed as Tim Burton's The Nightmare yeah, Before Christmas. Yeah, and it
2: still comes, because uh, it's a, his original story, by original story means he wrote a poem once. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but compar- it's that thing of, like, with Night uh, of the Cushions, obviously, Henry Selleck, and no one, like, outside of the animation community, I think, remembers like who Henry Selick is He's not like on the tip of the tongue of the common man But he obviously is More integral to the stop motion industry Generally Like he's made more films And he was, he's was he been involved In a lot of them
0: Sure yeah.
2: Um. But And obviously he was the one Like whenever it was like From the director of Nightmare for Christmas Ah not Tim Burton
0: <laughs> Yeah hmm.
2: Because no, I remember I get, that I can was see on, where people kind of. Oh, I understand why they did it, but yeah. I just remember that being on all the posters. It wasn't. It was never. It was Henry Selick somewhere on the poster, but like the top billing for Coraline was from the director of Nightmare for Christmas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like in smaller writing, Henry Selick. Yeah, I
1: actually, to 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 kind of continue with the confusion. I, I watched a trailer for this uh, earlier on. I'd seen it before, but I was, when I was doing the research. And uh, they were playing What's This, The song from Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> as in the trailer. So all the sort of, you know, there's loads of kind of sharp cuts for this film, which doesn't necessarily have a lot of sharp cuts. But obviously the trailer's like, what's this? What's this? It's another Tim Burton film. What's this? You know, and it's mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's nothing like the film. So I could see why people feel- might have felt, you know...
2: Yeah. I feel like maybe the shorthand for something being maybe a little bit creepy in America is it's a Tim Burton film. Mm. So we're not going to bother you with ever names. You know Tim Burton, they're both quite short words. <laughs> so, so that's how we'll get away with saying it's kind of creepy, bit gothic if you're one of the mums of America that are on the fan, fan groups that don't allow their kids to watch anything that, you know, isn't Christian, maybe give it a miss. And I think that's like Tim Burton is just sort of like on some sort of devil worshipper blacklist.
1: Yeah, but they're getting married. Just... That's proper Christian, isn't it? Yeah, but they're
2: dead. It's it's basically um necrophilia but without the penetration.
1: So it's not necrophilia.
2: <laughs> well, not yet. <laughs>
0: Read the fan fiction. See how the... Ne- Necrophilia is in the air.
2: <laughs> Look at and that the, spider's legs! They're
0: dancing around it.
2: I feel like we need to take a moment to appreciate these spiders' bloody legs! <laughs> they're, they're thinner than hair. <laughs> they're thinner than her hair. What is it made of? I don't
0: know. That's incredible, is I isn't think it? that's the same puppet, like, zoomed in like this, or if they... Yeah, I yeah, think it's composited yeah. in.
2: Same with the worm We've seen the worm Was that In McKinnon? Yeah. yeah Oh wait, no It wasn't I think I could never figure out Whether it was the armature For this worm Or the worm from James and the Giant Peach Oh yeah? Hmm
0: Well We saw a worm
2: We saw a, worm we saw a, a celebrity
0: Animation worm <laughs> This worm kind of Reminds me of the, um, the Beetlejuice snake When the banisters Turned into the snake
2: Is it because of The banding?
0: It's the it's this kind of face as well, kind of yeah, weird bug eyed face at yeah. the at the end of it.
2: It reminds me of um, Steve Buscemi. Yes. Why isn't he the voice? That would I mean the voice is perfect, but
0: well, the vo- I mean the guy who the voice and the puppet is kind of modeled on is quite similar to Steve Buscemi
2: and quite mo- vo- vocally I think more iconic. It's yeah, Peter Laurie, who is this it? guy? Peter Laurie. Yeah, yeah he's amazing.
0: He was a very sort of.
2: Is he alive? No, I don't
0: think so. Uh. If he if he's alive, he, he's not in good nick. <laughs> um, no, he's one of those. It's one of those voices that I think has just kind of become. It's like the library of creepy cartoon voices, and I'm sure a lot of people don't really, don't necessarily know that there's a kind of origin of it. Mm. It's just you know, it's it's. You know, standard either villain or creepy sidekick or whatever um, and it's kind of lumped in with like you know any kind of Igor character as well sort of thrown into the mix yeah Um, but I don't think the kids are like chomping at the bit for a good Peter Laurie reference <laughs> in their movies except you I,
1: like a good if you've ever I seen didn't know who he was but if you've ever seen somebody sort of back dragging one foot across a room going master that's that's
2: did. it I can't do it That's all I can ever think of
0: it was one of the um the, the influences on like ren howick as well that was sort of based on like 10 different carrot directors from the golden age of Hollywood and whenever he would be quiet he would speak in sort of solemn quiet tones then it became very peter Lorre kind of mm-hmm. you know something terrible is about to happen sort of thing.
2: I really want to work that impression into a film now. Well,
0: yeah, you know, I think it's fair game. I don't think a state is going after anyone. I feel like <laughs> it's
2: like an iconic animation gothic or horror-esque voice.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's like I was It's it like
2: was. The, the scream if someone falls off a... Off a Wilhelm plank screen. or something. Yeah,
1: mm. it's like um, it's entered. You've used it so many times, you can't claim that you own it. It's like the word dumpster or the word Xerox. It's not a brand name anymore. It's uh, public domain.
0: Even still, like you know, just doing an impersonation of someone um, is pretty. It's it's a fair game thing to do. Mm. I mean, Jim Carrey wouldn't have had a career.
2: <laughs> yeah. Otherwise. Look how insane that waist is. Every All the women's waists in this film are like mental. They're like at a pinprick mm. angle. <laughs> I'm sure they were very well tensioned, but I always just imagine they would just slowly droop down. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: So she's on a mission now, isn't she, to save Victor? So she's going to wake yeah. up um, the pastor. I mean, look at the way he walks as well; it's
2: like the letters. He's Z. another one that has that yeah. kind of bouncy rig thing. There's quite a lot of like really nice making of extras on the DVD for this film, where they do show you all like the puppet tests and stuff without like their full body on. So like
1: most of them are, are just Allen keys aren't they you can see a little hole in the back of her hair bun there, that's where they would have stuck in the uh, Allen key and in her ears to change, so I think the one at the back of the head opened and closed the mouth and each ear did the sides of the mouth, if, if I remember correctly
0: so you told us about um, running the Tim Burton fan club mhm uh, and seeing the film We in the must cinema. never talk
2: about it after this, uh, this uh, podcast. Oh, no, we we'll wh- Where did about this it. film
0: rank <laughs> for you as like either a Tim Burton film or a stop-motion film in general? Out of... Well, what did you make of it? Did you? Oh, did I, you I've it?
2: always loved this film. Like you say, it's not quite up there with Nightmare Before Christmas because Nightmare Before Christmas has nostalgia on its It's side. an unfair
0: comparison, yeah. really. Like, you um, wouldn't do that to Frankenweenie, either.
2: No but i'm always a much bigger fan of tim burton when i i always think i i have this theory that tim burton made a pact with satan that he gets to make one film he actually likes and then he gets he has to make a film that's a bit shit
1: no no that's a pact he's got with warner brothers
2: well it, or disney <laughs> um so i think I think that's the sort of because this was like the problem is he made like ten good
0: movies in a row at the beginning, so now for the rest of his life. But
2: that was when he was like real, like I mean, he's still a hot commodity, but like it was when he was still like kind of Stephanie could afford to say no to things. Now he has children, so I feel like he does one that he knows will be a commercial success, and then one that just because of the name, like Dumbo and like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, and and then he gets to make one he actually really wants to make.
0: I, yeah, I mean, I can only speculate. I mean, it's... You know, up to, I think, a few years before this film came out, I would have considered myself a pretty big fan of his. And I think there was a, there's a thing where you're a fan of someone and you kind of don't want to acknowledge that you're losing interest in the work that they do. So you kind of tell yourself you like stuff more.
2: Oh, yeah, um, I definitely did this for a while. But I uh, I now of consult- I will still always stick up for Tim Burton because he's now kind of like he's kind of like the cringe person people say they like. I feel
0: <laughs> like a guilty pleasure. Yeah,
2: like I, I've had so many conversations at like where I've been at like a meal or something where someone's just like, "I just I hate his stuff," and I'm like, "Yeah, I love it," mm. and I just have to sort of sit there blatantly disagreeing with every. I'm like, "No, I agree. I understand that." Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was terrifying and weird and or in all the wrong ways, and that. You know, so it's
1: like managing the Bebo page, but in real life.
2: Yeah, yeah, basically <laughs> all these comments I, coming through. Basically, yeah, I'll still always go to back for Tim Burton, and it's still I think that's still my like. I mean, it's the reason I went into animation mm. in the first place because I never wanted to be a like a 2D animator or a CG animator. I always wanted to be a stop motion animator, and I wanted to be I wanted to work for Tim Burton in some way, anyway, any capacity. So and that's still probably my like ultimate life goal.
0: To like work on a production like this?
2: Just yeah. yeah. Just anything. Wh- like pushing Tim Burton around the set in his wheelchair. <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> I just wanna be I just wanna be involved with Tim Burton in some way. Um But yeah, so I, I will always behind him with the dry ice. <laughs> <laughs> just translating for him. Um I only the yeah. jumpers yeah did you ever like hear the mental things about his house
1: i know that he, he, he when he was with helena Bonham and carter they lived in separate houses apparently that's the room that were that joined
2: by a tunnel a
1: tunnel wow
2: yeah and uh, i remember also there was like a i don't know if it was true or an, uh, on a in i have no way of knowing if any of this is true but there was also like in the both the houses they had two different christmas trees for christmas and one of them had dead babies on it and the other one had spaceships.
1: So like models of oh. dead babies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> it's Tim Burton. He has access, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> I mean, or do we guess wh-
0: whose was whose? Yeah, I would
1: have I would have said spaceships was more Tim Burton.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> Helen Carter had the dead baby tree. I'm so Garth. <laughs> But it's also like with this film, you have to remember, it's like with any film, you have to kind of remember the climate that it was coming into. And like, emo culture was at like an all time high when the film came out. So this where it really did quite, I think, probably did quite well on the back of that. Mm. It was definitely a huge hit with all of my friends who were either yeah, emo or emo adjacent. Yeah, you were know t- Laura,
1: mm. so emo culture was at a high in your life when you were at that age, I think.
2: <laughs> but, but even if you weren't involved, I wasn't ever an emo, but even if you weren't involved, you couldn't have like missed it. Everyone was walking well, yeah, around with like, the have, gunshot yeah, haircut. It couldn't have come
1: at a better time because it was at this point where all the... Uh, the, the resurgence of Nightmare Before Christmas. We, got, we should have, yeah. like, ring a little bell every time we say Nightmare Before Christmas.
2: Um, <laughs> it was when everything was, like, when everything was, like, when everything to do with, like, Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas was, like, in Hot Topic. Yeah. And you could yeah. get it on, like, literally everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so you, it, and it it, just it, if people broke. had reached that age where they, they were at university or, or high school or college and they'd... Grown up watching Nightmare Before Christmas. There's the, the the effectively what had been billed as the sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas in all but name. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll 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 allow that. Yeah,
2: he was like the poster child for my weird generation of people that liked people that looked like they were dying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing is, I think that this scene we're watching now—it's the Victor and the Court's Bride uh, doing a piano duet, and it's a sort of you know, tender moment between the two of them. And that's a sort of shared, I think, element of both films is the appeal to, like you say, people who kind of perhaps identify, like, I'm just a corpse bride at heart. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if you see past my, my, my scars. And I remember around this sort of time, like you say, when Nightmare Before Christmas became a merchandising vehicle, that it really wasn't that much when it came out. No one... Seemed to be that interested in consuming Nightmare Before Christmas memorabilia. But, you know, once they grew up a little bit. Um, and then you, you would see a lot more of people who were like, they identified, oh, I'm Sally. Because I just want him to notice me. I want the, the tall, skinny guy in my life to, to read my poems or whatever.
2: Sally and Vincent being together, totally could see that. Mm. But they'd never fucking talk to each other, they'd never notice. They'd always be, like, leaving weird little packages for each other and never get together.
0: And I may be wrong, but I don't think, like, when Nightmare Before Christmas came out, high school kids or college kids were watching it going, oh, this totally speaks to me. Because they probably, you know, in the sort of early to mid-90s, there was a much more, I think, cynical... Thing about being that age mm. like why the fuck would i identify with these they're puppets for christ's sake
2: <laughs> but also like one of the like major influences on tim burton has always been edgar Allan poe and if you read any of edgar Allan poe that's all about like a guy not really getting his shit together and like wanting to get with a girl that's probably already dead <laughs> like and that all became very again in vogue yeah. Because of, uh, part, mostly probably down to Tim Burton, like, anyone that has a slightly creepy gothic edge to them always cites, like, Edgar Allan Poe yeah. or Tim Burton.
0: Brooding and non-threatening. Yeah. Gentlemen with floppy hair.
2: Well, now it's a, you know, if you see that now, you're really concerned because they're normally, like, what is it, incels or something. Is it incels?
0: Um, so we'll see, where, where are we going with The
2: ones this? that are, like... They'll they'll like put a manifesto up on YouTube, about, angry like, at
0: the world. Is it in South? Men when you can't he, get it together with women. Yeah,
2: yeah. So now when you see a broody teenager that's like really angsty, you're like, oh fuck, we're back. When yeah, that's I was more of a, a, a when, when I was a teenager, that was like Tuesday. <laughs> so <laughs> every boy I knew was an emo, emo, like yeah,
0: they have their like vernacular, and everyone who isn't one of them is a. a Chad. Yeah. Or a you know, and every girl is a Brittany also. Probably
1: more contemporary reference than Brittany but...
2: <laughs> no, I think Chad's right though.
1: 20 years is close enough then. <laughs>
2: she even still alive? <laughs> she is, but she has five kids and she's miserable.
0: I'm sure with each kid she has grown more joyful with life. With a great face.
2: <laughs> but you can sort of see the beginning of the strain of that kind of idea of like pulleys and system where it starts to like pull down too much Mm because it's it's quite hard like everyone in this film has like a very neutral expression which is like slightly sad so to try and make them extra sad it's not because it pulls down and it pulls out to the side rather than pull down and like in Mm. which is how you'd get like a really like curved sad face
1: So uh, we were talking earlier on about the kind of Henry Selick, Tim Burton dynamic and everything. And this is obviously put forward as Tim Burton's uh, corpse bride. But it was it was directed by Mike Johnson, apparently, uh, co-directed, I should say, um, who kind of did the, according to Tim Burton, did the. The I don't want to use, use a different word. Sort of the donkey work he did. The, he did the day-to-day animation, made sure that everything was there. And uh, Tim Burton was had, he
2: actually was he actually the director or was he the animation co-director? Director?
1: He was down as oh. co-director, not animation director. Because obviously, when, when you look at something like um, we know people who've been co-directors of films, and it's completely different from being the uh, uh, sorry animation director is completely different from being um, uh, co-director. But yeah, uh, apparently. Tim Burton had exclusive control over uh, approving the concepts and storyboards and all that sort of stuff. And uh, and Mike Johnson was just in charge, to, ch- charge of directing the performance and getting everything animated. Uh, and obviously with the digital cameras, that meant that they could review the dailies really efficiently as well. So it's kind of the start of this kind of... Around this era, you get Wes Anderson as well, who's doing a pretty similar thing. Where he's just kind of almost directing a film via email or you know over the phone, where he's busy working on other projects at the same time as making uh, an animated feature. You know, you leave it, in, yeah. you leave it in charge of uh, of other animators. I mean, we know animation directors that are really hands-on, that are there with like every frame of the film. Uh, you know, run, running from set to set. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is Warner Brothers hopefully getting a, bit, a big name to their film, uh, but obviously it is Tim Burton who has control over the kind of, the emotion of the film, which is great
2: Yeah No, I mean there's no surprise that
0: he'd be the sort of one to get the main billing.
2: That's a very nightmare for Christmas scene with the town centre and everyone town walking store, away yeah. just missing a fountain, that's all that's really <laughs> happening there.
1: Something's up with Jack, something's up with Jack Yeah <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's it's an interesting thing, the whole, like, <laughs> the the politics of who gets the credit, and there's a great sequence.
2: Yeah, I love this.
0: Um, you know, who gets the billing and who gets the, you know, <laughs> name on the poster sort of thing. I remember when um, The Frighteners came out, and that was billed as a Robert Zemeckis film, who has a lot of associations with, you know, very, very big... Uh, you know, Hollywood films like Back to the Future, I think, and stuff like that. And then um, no one knew who Peter Jackson was when The Frighteners came out, unless you liked obscure, like, um, what I guess to people would be considered foreign independent cinema with his sort of very campy B-movie stuff. Then, of course, The Lord of the Rings comes out, and Peter Jackson's one of the sort of biggest names around and so whenever they would re-release the frighteners then it was always peter jackson's um the frighteners mm. and that was a kind of in- at least a sort of lesson in okay you're as good you're as valuable as <laughs> like your your most recent success because people weren't talking about robert zemeckis around that time yeah um and so like okay bye bob <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for helping us out in 1994, but we want to sell some Blu-rays, <laughs> so it's we like need to a- get the actual director's name on the box.
2: It's like when we noticed last year that like one of my favourite films of all time is Willow, and yeah. that was a Matt Lucas film, but now because Matt Lucas... Do you mean George Lucas? George Lucas, sorry. Oh, uh, if it, only if it yeah. was a yeah. Just, just as, as much I as an artistic- get that I always want to say Matt Lucas when I mean George Lucas, and I never mean to say Matt Lucas like that's never that's never a person i need to refer to um (laughs) but um this year it was because obviously they've bought him out like the whole store star wars thing and all his property now it's always billed as disney's willow and i'm like you had nothing to do with this film yeah yeah yeah. and it's so weird to i'm like why have you like but it's just about this in the in the text i'm like when have I ever seen a film that says Disney's like you know Beauty and the Beast or Disney's like whatever?
1: Well, it's, it's always said last week that that's what they did with Nightmare Before Christmas. It wasn't released as a. I think it was released through Touchstone, which was set up by Disney so they could release projects that they didn't want to sully the, uh, the the Disney family brand. And now the it's shameful underdogs. Yeah, exactly. Teen, the- and Touchstone now was brand- always like
2: their... They're slightly teenagery content.
1: Yeah, it was. It was produced so. I think it was produced so they could even make. I think it was produced. So did they, they,
2: they could, do Hocus Pocus as well? They did, did but I think them? it was
1: produced so they could make um, Pretty Woman because they do, they uh. weren't they wasn't going to release a Disney film about a prostitute.
2: <laughs> but they did want it. They did want their uh, name on. Yeah, Pretty Woman and then they, they obviously way.
1: wanted films like Splash as well, which were made by uh, through Touchstone. Have you seen that? did you the,
2: see the thing? This in- is the scene that Tim Allen animated.
0: I remember, yeah. He, um he's I think he's gonna be dining out on this one for a while.
1: It's such a good yeah, shot. This though. is a
0: pushing shot over the table and there's like fifteen people at the table and they're all <laughs> moving a little bit. Uh, and that's like cause that was this one of his first features? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So that's a hell of a thing to cut your fucking teeth on.
2: Mm. I also like to think the as, as the camera's
1: going through, people are taking the puppets and rushing them to another set as well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this would be such a good show role piece. I would just have this and be like, hire me. <laughs> just this scene, this scene alone.
0: That is the, the, the sometimes very unfair thing about stop motion production is if you need a crowd shot, whoever draws the short straw on that one... <laughs> Because you're he, working so much longer.
2: Well, you're working on that one scene for maybe a year.
0: There's a shot in uh, Chuck Steele, the lost stop-motion film, that may one day get a, a release. Fingers crossed. Um, that I was lucky enough to be able to observe uh, some of the stop-motion on, and a friend of mine um, worked on a crowd shot, and she was on that shot for fucking ever. And in the film, it's maybe four seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> But because there's like a good fifty people in the in the shot, um, you know the just the emotional endurance. I do doff my cap to um, the people who are in the trenches on these films.
1: Mm-hmm. Tim uh, Tim Allen, as well as a, uh, as an animator, is we, somebody we've had in a few times to do talks for the students and he talks about the difference between working on tv stop motion which is where he was before this and then working on like auditioning for this particular film and just the kind of the huge difference between the two the difference is that you don't really notice on screen but you notice as a kind of as a performer uh yeah. so if you do have the opportunity if so anyone listening to this has an opportunity to get tim allen in to do to give his talk it's 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 absolutely worth uh however long you want to let him talk for, because he's great.
0: It's an interesting point. I was thinking about this recently. Recently on the site, um, I put up an interview with a woman who does the show The Shivering Truth, um, who will eventually be on a podcast. I I think I'm sort of waiting to find out when it's coming out in the UK. But there's a quality of the performance in that that's really very strong. It's an adult swim TV show. On a budget, like not a shoestring, but, you know, it's clearly, you know, a more economical um, situation. And something I noticed about it, and I've noticed it in other stop motion shows like Robot Chicken, for example, are (laughs) um, there's a fluidity to the movement that translates very well as performance But it is a quite different beast to what you see in a film like this, where everything is really meticulously staged um, and can be quite abrupt at times. Um, Whereas everything in this show is generally quite smooth, and there's an awful lot of secondary action and uh, anticipation and settle. There's almost like a kind of mathematical principle to the anticipation and the settle, that's there with almost every arm movement and every head turn, um, or full-body, you know, spasmodic jerk, as frequently comes up in this particular show. And it's a very appealing thing to look at. And as a way to sort of approach getting a performance out of a puppet when the clock is ticking, it's a good solution. But when you see a film like this, um, you do notice a difference in the staging. There's more of a uniqueness to each shot and there's more of an individuality to each character. Yeah. Um, And I remember something, I imagine he showed much of the same work, but when he talked to Yui um, years before when I was there, Tim, and he was showing, I think his audition footage. Yes. And it was just getting a walk cycle out of um, the Victor puppet. And, I think that was something that kind of sold him to them. I'm maybe misremembering the the, the details, but that he was able to get a, a, the personality of the character, that he was able to display it so well through being so timid in the way he walked. There's a kind of uncertainty to him mm. um, that tells you a lot about a person. How, like we were talking about the difference between Victor and Jack Skellington. A lot of it's in the body language, the stride. Um, the way your posture, the way you hold yourself. Um that's sort of the difference between, you know, being respected um and being sort of considered a bit of a pushover. Um so there's a lot of, you know, nuance and, you know, time for that in a film like this.
1: Whereas a kids T V series sometimes sometimes it's just about moving the characters. <laughs> I remember um the animated Bill and Ben series from Cosgrove Hall uh, early 2000s I think the characters when they move onto set they slide onto the set like a kind of you know screeching uh, onto set rather than walking yeah. onto set just to save time <laughs> so like they put like a sort of skidding uh, effect as the characters bound onto onto the stage and it's that's just economics but it's obviously adds a lot to character as well so there's, there's room for that as well obviously
0: yeah and even something like Shaun the Sheep as like a sort of contemporary example. They've recently done a bunch of new episodes of that. and You know, you can tell there's a system in place for that as well. I think there's diversity in the character performances. And I think that the the types of puppets really help for that because you've got the big chubby pigs. And, you know, even among the sheeps, so there's the skinny sheeps and the big sheep and... Um, uh, the dog has his own kind of way of carrying himself. But generally speaking, the performance, you're not mining the recesses of each character's <laughs> soul to you know, find something really, really specific. It's very good. It's very, you know, it's, it's quite sophisticated, um, but it's also in a way it's slightly limited out of just necessity. But, you know, as with all the really strong admin things, limitations often translate to ingenuity. Yeah. Um, and so it's a very comfortable thing to watch. Whereas if you have absolute freedom over a character's performance, maybe there's more of a chance I can go off the rails a bit. Um, I'm not saying that's the case with this film. But um, I can think of a few other stop-motion films, certainly older ones, where... Things have just kind of gone all over the place a bit, and it confuses the action um, and the the motives of the character.
1: Yeah. So well, your animation directors come in handy.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's goes to show because.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that's a good reaction.
0: It goes to show, I think, that that role has had a bit more respect. Um, given to it over the years.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: In the 80s, and especially was the case in series production, like animation, the big problem with so many of those animated shows and some of the movies is they just weren't really directed very well, if at all. Um, Like this, the serialized episodic, um, you know, toy commercial type shows in particular, like the characters are just sort of existing in the space but the interactions have no sophistication about them whatsoever. It's just like, okay, let's just colour in the mm. storyboard. Mm.
2: Um, I've got two gags out of that half-man.
1: Oh, he's had, he's had a few like, We're using this puppet twice. Yeah. <laughs> let's get yeah, our 30 grand's worth. It
2: would be like, I. we have to use this more than once. I'll be pissed if we're <laughs> only using this in one scene.
1: So where are we in the you story? Know, because we've not talked about the story at all in this uh, in this commentary. I think we're coming up to the end. Maybe I've, I've
2: tried <laughs> to
0: bring up the story a few times.
2: We're no in one bit the, the <laughs> penultimate. So
1: um, bit. shenanigans have ensued, and uh, we're near the end.
2: We've uh, we've discovered who uh, who the corpse bride's late husband who killed her Marcus is. Mark is and it's the guy that's trying to m- marry Emily.
1: Mm. And uh,
2: she ain't having it this time.
0: I think she's giving him evils.
2: But he's going to fall on his own baton. His own what? Baton? Is that the what the phrase? Fall on fall his sword. sword. Yeah, but isn't it baton?
1: Hoist by his own batard?
2: Yeah, that thing. What's a batard? I don't
1: know batard, what a batard it's like is. sailing. I don't know what I any of those my, words
0: mean. We're really <laughs> focusing on the abortion. He's going to be brought down by his hubris. Is that what you mean?
2: Yeah. Nah. Maybe no. I don't know.
0: He's going to get his comeuppance. <laughs> he's drinking poison. He's drinking poison. He's going to drink some poison. <laughs> he's hoisted by his own cup of poison.
2: But he doesn't realise it's poison. And now he's like, "Ah, uh, oh, damn it.
0: Poisoned.
2: But they're like, now he's ours because we are dead too.
1: And now uh. he's got some colour.
2: Yeah. Now that he's dead.
1: They're screaming.
0: <laughs> so they're just going to torture him? Yeah. Yeah. Fair deuce.
2: He deserves it. <laughs> and the corks in that.
1: <laughs> so, um,. Overall thoughts on this film as we come to the end.
2: Beautiful.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: same. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think my kind of thing with this one is, uh, for all of the kind of talk about, like, okay, there's a, a certain eras of Tim Burton as a director or as an artist or whatever that are probably more gratifying, but... I can watch this very happily as we have just watched it now it without is a sound it's, it's film. very um you can drink it in really well. Yeah. I think I'm getting as much from it watching it silent than I would without. If and and the it.
2: music's quite good though. As well. I that's I
0: For an- me, it was another example of it being unfairly in the shadow of certain films that came before it, and I felt like Danny Elfman.
2: But I feel like that's a very weird way to watch any film to just constantly compare it to another film.
0: Well, it's not a deliberate thing. No, it's not I know. Like I'm, but... I've got like a checklist. No, of I know,
2: like... but also to also compare it to a film that you saw when you were much, much younger as well. Mm. But there's no way you can't really compare this to Nightmare for Christmas because we were all so much younger and we were children so it had a greater effect on us than this film would have done because we were teenagers.
0: Yeah, you're not gonna get the same thing out of a film you watch in college as you do when you're ten years old. And I think that's That being said though, I, I kinda stand by my criticism of the music from a technical perspective compositionally It just didn't seem nearly as complex and inventive. There's nothing really very adventurous about the chord progressions or the orchestrations. It's pretty. And the main kind of theme that kind of plays throughout the recurring melody, that's a pretty melody. But, like there's nothing I think there's no
1: toe tapping Christmas songs over.
2: but yeah is that not just because that the film itself didn't call for that because mm. it's a much more subtler film where Night Before Christmas is all about like uh, like jolliness and, and this kind of play on like good and evil and what is like dark and what isn't and like the two complete opposites of Halloween and Christmas and what they mean in to be honest more like American culture compared to this which is a lot more somber a film so you couldn't have really have given it a score
0: no yeah that's absolutely right in every respect hence why i don't get much out of the music personally mm-hmm. so for those reasons but the, i think the, that's what my point the was. kind
2: of most famous tune in this the piano solo is a very iconic piece of music not as maybe as much as like what's this or any of that kind of thing but i still feel that's a very strong piece of music sure but yes i don't, i i,
0: don't... I you, it's very possibly the case personally i don't feel like it sort of entered the old zeitgeist no no um no. In, a, in a similar way uh my my it was meant to be a, a compliment about the fucking puppets
1: <laughs> and it just, just turned into to be shitting on every everything else here's the puppet the puppet um, maker's name's coming up now so you can compliment Look bit bit them all. Look at all how beautiful they uh... all are.
2: <laughs> they're all blind now after making this film. If they're dead. I'm gonna give them a round of applause. <clears throat> Woo
1: Now we're on to production now, I'm not clapping them. Um I, I'm glad I saw. It. I've not seen it for years, and I'm glad I've. Uh, I'm glad we watched it again. I think it's.
2: I will say this is one of the films that seems to always be on Channel Four. So wait like five <laughs> minutes, and you'll probably get to see it on terrestrial TV. Yeah,
1: it's like Hot mm-hmm. Fuzz on ITV two.
2: Yeah. So we got to pick a
1: film for next week. Yes, indeed. As is the format, as the format restricts us to. It's
0: the, uh, the hole we've dug ourselves in. Laura, would you like to come up with some suggestions?
1: We uh, had a few
2: before we had hit record. A suggestion of maybe the Simpsons movie versus the South Park movie. Ooh, I love it. Show versus show. Or, what was my other one? No, that, uh, cl- uh, the one from last week, which was fantastic. Mr. Fox versus Chicken Run.
1: Yeah, put the fox amongst oh, the chickens.
2: But shall we uh, shall we go for The Simpsons versus South Park and then next week maybe do The Fox and Chicken? Yes. I think that would
0: kind of give things, mix it up a bit.
2: I'm yeah, for that. because we've done quite a few like classics in a row and it's about time for a bit of a goof one.
1: Yeah. So next week, if The Simpsons movie wins, uh, are we allowed to talk about The Simpsons, Ben, for the first time ever? Yes. <laughs> <Are> we- <laughs> Even if South Park thought, wins, let's be, be honest. I thought
2: it would be really nice to do <laughs> an episode... Make
0: Three Mill Studios, London, England.
2: There we go. Sorry. <laughs> But I feel like it'd be nice for you guys to have an episode where it's actually relevant for you to just talk about all your nerd Simpsons it's stuff. always relevant. All for the it.
0: nerdy South Park stuff, I'm fine yeah. either
2: way. Yeah. Either one. So if
1: people want to vote for that, you can vote for it on, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, but go on the actual article and stream and download the, the podcast and tell your friends about it. And vote, vote, vote for your favourite Simpsons or South Park.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.